This is the I Went Down to the River podcast. I'm Dan Walton, and I will sit down with fellow alums and talk about what it meant to be a part of the Hawken football program and wear the wings. We share stories of friendship, memorable games, funny moments, and how football made us who we are. You don't need to be on a bus for these tangs. Now let's go down to the river. Today's guest was a member of the 2009 playoff qualifying team that went 9-3. and three. His impact on the field that year was as a left guard and defensive end. This is sure to be a great trip down to the river filled with stories of friendship and laughs. Please welcome number 74 on the roster, Miles Simmons. Miles, good to see you. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great, but I actually I have one quibble with your intro and it's this no it's actually i think it's hilarious because if and i think anybody that was a part of our class of hawken football 2009 hawken seniors you know 2010 would know this i was the only player aside from zach mcmains who did not have any defensive stats at all in our senior year which so that's good for mcmains because then that (laughs) would mean he was getting tackles on interceptions yes but for me, it basically means that I was a left guard and pretty much nothing else. So we can say that I was a defensive end, and that's cool. But I really was. <laughs> hey, Miles, let's let's share out here. My my junior year, I was listed as wide receiver and safety. Uh, only did I become a safety when the two guys ahead of me were on the IR. Yeah. So I know all too well about how sometimes you're just. Uh, your role is to be that one side of the ball. And as we, uh, as we talk about what that offensive left guard position looked like for you, it was kind of an integral part of the offense that uh, we're going to get into as we talk about your senior year, because that, uh, that offense was able to move the ball. That offense was able to score points when needed. And uh, it was a fun, fun year, man. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking about some of those stories with you and uh, to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. No, it was, that was a great, great year. And I think that, you know, when we look back on it and obviously we're going to talk about this a lot more, it, it was so just, it it really shaped a lot of us, I feel like, you know, and it, 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 it was something that we could probably anticipate given the fact that we had so many seniors, but I don't know that if I really realized that until we really started playing and then we started winning and, you know, we always talk about you expect to win, but that was one year where no, every single game we, we, we pretty much expected the win. Nicely put. That's exactly right. Let's go ahead and uh, let's get your first Hawking football memory because you are, as we're going to talk about, you were a new ninth grade student coming to uh, Hawking. So what was the first Hawking football memory that you had? And then you can go ahead and put that right into what the transition was like to come to a new school. Sure. Uh, I, I had never been to a different school um, in my life uh, other than roughing Montessori and people may know where that is in Cleveland Heights. So when I became a ninth grader, you know, I I wanted to play football. I didn't really know much about actually playing football. You know, I had watched it, but I never had played any sort of middle school, peewee, whatever it is. So I I think the, the first memory I really have is being at one of these summer practices and everybody, you know, was split into the position groups. 
And I'm like, it was a split second decision. I'm like, man, I don't know what position I am. (laughs) And I ended up going to the offensive line. And it was uh, like for 14 year old me, you know, 16 years later, whatever it is, like that was a pretty darn good decision. (laughs) And uh, and that split second, I don't know what my instincts kicked in or how they kicked in or whatever, but like they kicked in and I went over to the offensive line. And from there, that uh, kind of set up the rest of my entire Hawk and football experience. That first night at minicamp when you made that, uh, that decision, it was probably a little bit easier too, because you were talking about how big your um, class was and it graduated with 18, which is uh, one of the biggest we've ever had. And out of that group of 18, you had a number of individuals that made that walk to that end of the field that day with you because they were also offensive linemen so the sam mincers and uh charlie primbuses and kent green and marabito and i'm sure i'm forgetting you know maybe one or two others but there were quite a few few of you that went down and uh started off drills that first night yeah it was and but you know what i i think this is sort of strange and i I hope that he hears this because i don't think i ever told him the person that i think actually might have influenced me the most in where i was playing that day was mike scott who was a junior. And I remember that he was, you know, playing left tackle. And I was like, all right, well, if this, this guy seems to know what he's doing and he's being nice to me. So I'm going to line up behind him and that's how I'm going to start this off. So yeah, I, that's, that was, I don't remember why my instinct was to line up behind Mike Scott and follow Mike Scott, but that's, that's what happened there. Credit Mike Scott, Mike Scott. Thank you very much for having, (laughs) having done that. Mike Scott, interesting story about him. He's very similar to a classmate of yours, Pat Horsberg in that he ended up on the line because he was one of the larger kids in the class, but spent a good part of his uh, years growing up with a good throwing arm, good hands. And so I think always kind of looked at himself as a, uh, a, uh, a jumbo athlete maybe. And uh, yeah. so Mike ended up uh, on the offensive line and he helped persuade you to uh, join him on that, uh, that June mini camp evening. So thank you, Mike Scott. Yeah, it wasn't, it was, I, I don't even know if there was anything he said. It just was this guy. He seems <laughs> like he knows what he's doing and he's being nice. So here I am, and this is what I'm going to do. First day of mini camp as a, a freshman can be intimidating. Now add in that that was your first time pretty much on campus with the whole group. I can imagine that that felt a little uh, big. Yeah, I. It, it's funny because I, I don't remember feeling too lost. I, and I don't know if it was just that I love football so much that being out there felt natural to me. Um, but it, I, <laughs> as I look back on it, I probably should have felt more lost than I did. And I don't know if it's because, you know, we had so many freshmen and like, I wasn't the only new person that was out there. I wasn't the only one that was sort of going through that thing. Um, but yeah, that's, it is funny that like, I, I don't, I don't really remember feeling as lost as I probably should have felt. And you know, ever since then, I just, I knew that offensive line was the place where I was supposed to be. Didn't feel lost because you're a personable guy, easy to get along with. And you have these sort of future classmates of yours that are a really tight knit group, really know how to have a good time. And uh, 
I imagine we're pretty welcoming of uh, you and the rest of the new uh, ninth graders that were joining up. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, I, you say I'm a personable guy. I gotta, I gotta bring this back too because I heard a few episodes ago Greg Passiatis call me one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet, and I would never think of myself that way. But I'm very glad that he thought of, he thinks of me that way, and you seem to agree. So I, this is really great. Like the best, if that's the impression that I leave, man, I'm, I must be doing something right. <laughs> Miles, if Posse says it, if I second it, we are not the only two. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, you know what? I, I think that Greg was definitely one of those guys that was one of the most welcoming when we got there. I mean, that's why we elected him captain you know, when we were juniors. Right? There, there was absolutely a reason for that. And, you know, him leading our class in the way that he did was something that had been happening for years. So that that didn't just that didn't just happen our junior year. Exactly. You know? That 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 stuff started, you know, at those mini camps where he's making sure that everybody feels comfortable, right? You know, where we're we go to freshman orientation and all the football players hang out because he's one of these guys that's making sure that everybody, you know, is is feeling comfortable. So yeah, I think that from the standpoint of we have these people who had already been established at Hawken, plus a lot of folks that were coming in. Oh, it's me and guys like Adam Cantor, who, you know, he and I kind of started bonding in those, in those times. It, it, I think it just worked out really well. Yeah. So 18 in your graduating class as a senior, I think seven or eight other new freshmen that, uh, that first year. So, um, talk about just a great blend of guys that have been around the school, understand the program either because of older siblings or because they played at the middle school and have kind of been around it, but then welcoming you guys and then making sure that this is a family and this is a brotherhood that you guys are equally a part of just starting at a different date in, yeah. in the whole scheme. Yeah. And it, it really was that kind of deal um, because I think you know, when people understand what the program is and, you know, you're talking to somebody like me who really didn't um, that helps because you, you start to figure things out really quickly, but I think without that inherent knowledge, when you're coming in, you, you need somebody to kind of just make you say like, Oh no, 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 no. Like, this there's a proud winning tradition and this means something and it's not just you know going out and doing whatever you want and, and i think as we progressed as a class that sunk in for all of us a little bit more in different ways until it manifested itself in our senior year and in, in how well we performed anytime you have a coaching staff with a clear vision and is able to articulate that and then you have a series of classes a part of that four class roster who are fully bought in on it and are also an extension of that staff's mouthpiece yeah. and gets that message out in those moments where maybe that staff isn't nearby because it's during the school day or it's the weekend or whatever. Um, that just, that, that leads to a strong program and a strong team. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's almost like anything in life. I mean, we could talk about that at different levels of football, you know, different jobs that, you know, anybody may take. If, if there's no accountability 
in um, within the people who aren't management, let's call it, right? Then you're probably going to be in a mess. And especially if those at the top who are in the management roles can't articulate exactly what they want down to everybody who has to implement it. It, it just, it makes things a lot worse than they have to be. Talent can cheat sometimes where like you don't see how hard you actually have to work because oh, yeah. teams kind of just sit on it and go, oh, well, we're better. So we can, we can sort of cut corners here. Um, they ultimately will be disappointed because they will not get to where they should be. And uh, one of the things as we get to um, the 09 season is there were no corners that were cheated. Um, a group of 18 that hit the weight room collectively so hard and did such a good job of encouraging one another and keeping each other accountable. And frankly, uh, I've talked about how much you guys competed as a group. You guys cared about each other and talent is important. Work ethic is important. But if you don't care about that person that you're lining up across from or next to during the week, it's going to show itself at some point and it's going to come off as maybe a little bit fake or false. And that was not the case with you guys. Oh, no, I I know that we cared a lot about each other and we cared about each other's success, not just on the field, but, you know, in life. But I think we collectively made a decision after our junior season that we were going to be as good as we could be. And, you know, you're talking about there were no excuses. There was no this, no that. And we started that in the spring. I remember we were getting up real early for like 6.30, 7 o'clock workouts in the weight room there at the upper school. And, you know, we would – it was basically all of us. Because we were saying that there's no excuses if, if for how we're going to perform in the fall if we do what we need to do now. And, like, that's the way we thought of it. You know, beating U.S. was something that we were going to start doing in the spring because that's what we felt like we had to do in order to make sure that it was going to happen. So we were getting up early. We were getting after it in the weight room. We were competing in the weight room as well. And it it – I think absolutely made a huge difference by the time we got to the fall. Yeah. Well put. And we will get to that for sure. As we get to week one of that senior season as well, uh, back to that transition piece, as you were coming to Hawk and you said you had not played football before. Um, is that a product of just, you weren't ready at that point as a middle schooler? Was it a product of the school system you were at with the, University Heights, Cleveland Heights uh, program, the way it was put together or? That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I, I it was never something I really thought of, I guess. Um, I mean, because Ruffing is such a small school. I mean, there were 12 or 13 eighth graders that moved up and out of uh, that school when I was graduating from it in 2006. So it, it, that, it was never a thing that we were really doing there. You know, um, and I, I mean, I'm sure that there are different ways that I could have done it um, in Shaker Heights, wherever, you know, it, like, but it just, I don't know. It's never something I really thought of. And it's weird because like I said, I love football. I've always loved football. I played Madden from the time that I was very young uh, until today, you know, so it's not like there was that lack of interest in the sport. I guess it just, 
I guess it was just a product of circumstances that I just had never really considered playing it um, until I got to high school. And yeah, and then the rest is history. Quick aside, what is the uh, greatest year of Madden that's been uh, released, in your opinion? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, probably 2005. Yeah, Who's 2005, on the cover of that? Ray Lewis, which Ray sort Lua, of makes yeah. me want to vomit. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's a, that was a really good one. Also, 08. Because I'll, I'll tell you, I played Madden 08 on computer for like the better part of a decade because I went into franchise mode and I the Dolphins were terrible that year. So I moved <laughs> them to Manhattan and called them the New York Kings. And like it was, I, I got into like the 2030s. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That young. Right. So like, yeah. that tells you, I, I was serious about the football thing. Spend I don't, some I don't hours. Know I didn't play. Oh, yeah. I had <laughs> a lot of time in the uh, millennial computer room as we all had back then. So, yeah. Could you create your own uh, player in that that year? I think so. Did you yeah. ever create a Miles Simmons for that team? I was more into creating like player. I, I, the, the short answer is no. I <laughs> Being the guy who like took the bad team and then had to draft different players. So I remember specifically with that, like I drafted a running back first. So I was kind of like the giants drafting Saquon Barkley. And then the next year I got my Daniel Jones. And I don't remember what these dudes <laughs> they were you know, random in this, but I ended up winning the super bowl. So I think uh, Rob Ryan or Rex Ryan was one of my head coaches in that thing. i it's weird that I remember this, that this is just coming back to me right now. But. Pick the basement dweller and see how fast you can turn it around into a Super Bowl champ, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Uh, speak to speak to what the transition was like uh, from a class standpoint, from uh, academics. What was it like to come to, to the new school and uh, to jump in there? Did you have a favorite class that you took uh, during your four years? Oh, my favorite class during my four years. Uh, my favorite class during my four years was American Studies, um, which was my junior year. Who'd you have for uh, that? Uh, Julia Griffin and Andrew Clemenshaw. So they, they, I don't even know if they still do this, but they had combined American history and American English into one thing. Um, and so there were, I don't know how many people are in the class, 15 of us who decided to do this experimental class thing. Um, I loved it because I, so when I went on to college, I actually majored in American studies because in part because of that class at Hawking, but I love the intersection of history and literature and culture and all these different things. And, you know, you're just learning about America and, uh, and it was a unique way of doing that class just because it was one of the first times I'd ever done it. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really loved that class. That's awesome. Good to hear about that. Anything else that uh, you want to share out about uh, your time coming in as a, a ninth grader? I don't know. I mean, I think it was, I, it wasn't as dramatic as I think it could have been. You know, I think that, you know, Ruffin did a good job of preparing us for wherever we were going to go. Um, good. And, you know, I, I always felt like, and I guess this makes sense based on what I do now. I, I, I could write, you know, and the writing was never all that hard for me. And I think that when I got to Hawken, that's another thing that I know got enhanced to another level so that by the time I got to college, it, it wasn't as big of a deal as it could have been um, to some people. So I don't know. I had a great 
great academic experience at Hawken for sure. That's uh that's a fortunate situation to be in because sometimes you hear about the new student and the struggle is because the writing is such a hard expectation. Yeah. So to come in with that as a strength that puts you in good standing right away because I know the uh the quality and the amount of writing at the upper school can sometimes be daunting for uh for a young student. So that's no awesome. Yeah. Uh, before we get into this 09 season, is there anything from that junior year, that 08 season to sort of paint the picture of the year prior to the senior year that you want to, you want to mention or spotlight as we, as we get talking here about more specific games? I, I think it would be the, we didn't want to let that happen again. Um, I remember, you know, going down to practice those probably the last few weeks of that season. And I believe we ended that year four and six. And uh, yes. Yeah. Because we were five and five the first years and four and six. Um, and, and so that those, those last few practices was just like, all right, let's just get this thing over with because we all felt like the next year we were going to be able to do something a lot better. And, you know, it was, I'm sure, really tough for that uh, senior class when we were juniors because there were just not many of them, you know? I mean, and it, they I know they did their best, and it's not like, you know, we had a losing record because they didn't do X, Y, Z. I, I, don't, I don't really think that. I just, I feel like we, as probably the junior class, weren't ready to take over in the way that we would have to. And I think that, you know, based on the way things finished, that's kind of what spurred us to being like, all right, well, you know what, it's the spring. Let's get up early and let's make sure that we're working out so that we're preparing ourselves. You know, that, that experience of not just, you know, being 500, but actually, you know, looking at the record at the end of the year and you're like, we have more losses than wins. And this program is a proud winning tradition. That's not right. Like, I think that that really affected us in a way to make us be like, okay, yeah, no, we gotta, we have to write this ship because this is wrong. That's interesting that uh, when you talk about that, that junior campaign, because there have been seasons like that where one year it just, it doesn't meet the mark of the expectation of the talent that's on that roster. And then the following year just takes a huge jump and a huge uptick. And, uh, it's, it, it can be, it can be tricky because sometimes that junior class doesn't want to feel like they're overstepping and sort of taking a role or taking a spot from a senior as yes. far as that leadership position. Yes. And I, I worry about that. I, I like, there was, there was one game where, I don't remember exact. I don't remember the, exactly the circumstances, but um, whoever was our captain that year was out for the coin toss or something, and we're you know in our O, o line huddle at you know right in pregame, and you know you break it down, and then you go back to the sideline. Right? So our captain was gone, so there was nobody to usually to break that huddle down as it usually was. So I stepped in. And I did it. There was a senior there who took a little bit of exception to that, who, which 
I understand, you know, as a human being and as whatever. And he was kind of a little upset about it. And Coach Wilson, I remember, said, no, 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 no. You don't need to be sorry for that. You saw a situation and you handled it. And I was like, okay. So I think that that is just one of those things where, you know, we were trying to step up in ways that were tangible. Sometimes we couldn't. Um, and sometimes it wasn't the right time, but I think everybody was well-intentioned. Yeah, I would say that that's definitely accurate, Miles, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that junior campaign, which starts off with a 0-4 skid, but then finishes 4-2. and So there's a little bit of writing on the wall, so to speak, that uh, this team finished with a little bit of a uh, little bit of electricity to it. And um, the senior class, which you had mentioned, uh, was a little bit on the small side. Um, now there's going to be your class, this 18, that is going to lead the 2009 campaign coming off of um, a, a pretty strong finish. And so we, we've already mentioned how going into the spring and into the summer, there was just a uh, laser focus as far as everyone buying in to get your body and your mind ready for the season and not just think we were going to show up on a, uh, a June mini camp and uh, hit the easy button and get started. Yeah. It, that was, it was fun to do that. I mean, I remember like that summer was just so focused on football for me. And, you know, I, we were working out at the facility twice, three times a week, Sam Mincer and I, cause we lived pretty close to each other. We'd get together and we'd run all the time, you know, on those days that we weren't at the, um, at campus and, I remember he went on vacation, you know, around the 4th of July, came back a couple weeks, a week or two later, and we'd get together and run. And he goes, Miles, you look huge, man. And I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just, I'm working out. I'm following the things that we're supposed to do right now. And like, you know, I guess this is, you know, you don't see me for a weekend. It's like, this is kind of what the, just the plan that we're on. And this is really what we're doing. So yeah, it was, it was just very serious, you know, and it was something that we all felt like if we continue to put the work in that we already have put in, um, then there's no reason why we can't be as good as we think we should be. Miles, it was a good program that was put together by Coach Wes Wilson and, uh, and my dad. Um, but at some point, it doesn't matter how great the program is, you got to put in the work and you guys when you get up there and there's strength in numbers and you see how many of your teammates are up in that room getting after it and how you can be competitive in things in the weight room and everything that you do. I mean, guys kind of pissed because their dot drill was like 0.2 tenths of a second slower than either a teammate or what they were the previous day. I mean, that, that drives guys and that gets, uh, that gets the competition going. And the more competition that you can foster, the better you're going to be when there's someone in an, a different colored jersey and helmet. Absolutely. I, I, I remember, you know, because I was never the strongest guy or whatever, and I had never, um, 
I'd never been like a weight room person before I was in high school or anything like that. So like I wanted to really increase my bench press. Like that was an absolute goal going into the thing. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that I had the biggest net gain by the time we got to training camp. And like that was, that was a pretty big point of pride. That feels good, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It does because it just, it, it wasn't something that I really concentrated on before, but I did. And it paid off in, you know, how in shape I was, how strong I felt. Um, and yeah, I probably never will return to as good of a shape as I was as a spry <laughs> 17 going on 18 year old there. Um, but no, that was, that was really cool. But I, I feel like it happened because everybody was trying to be accountable to one another. You know, like you're not, if you're not working out the way you're supposed to, you're not just letting yourself down. You're letting everybody else down. Yep. And you know, when there are 18 of us, you're letting 17 guys down, man. You can't, you can't really let that happen. No, you can't, you can't let that happen. And in that weight room, there were three times once in the spring, uh, once right around mini camp. And then once right as two a days were beginning where they posted the results from testing. And that was a powerful sheet of paper that went up there because <sighs> it told you a lot individually about yourself. It told the team a lot about each individual. Yeah. And it was really cool to see a number attached to the growth that you had witnessed, but to see it right there posted and see Miles Simmons and that growth jump that you took in the bench press specifically. I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. And that's something that good teammates feel good about when their peers are able to do things like that and have successes in the weight room. Yeah, for sure. And that, but that, that was just us, man. Like, I think, I think we all felt like, you know, even if we're competing in trying to get better, that doesn't mean that we don't like each other. Like it's, it's basically the opposite, you know, like we're competing because we like each other and because we want everybody to do well. So yeah, I always, I always felt that. I, I talk about this. This is the perfect illustration for that. John Wilson and Brian Vogt two competitors that got after it, got under each other's skin. And then as soon as practice ended, we're right back to being friends. Yes. But, but during, during those reps. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were. And that's, that's so funny because it's like, I don't, I, I'll, I'll tell a freshman year story. Cause this is what I think of when I think of Brian and this is maybe not fair to him, but I remember like we were practicing. It was, it was snowing. And we, one of the things that we always did on the O-line too much was call check, check for the uh, snap count right after we'd gotten out of the huddle. And uh, this one particular day we were trying to change things up because the upperclassmen had, you know, figured out what the cadence calls were because they're smarter than us and they know it. So <laughs> we go, somebody goes, check, check. And Brian trying to call first sound goes, Phoenix, Phoenix. <laughs> that is enough sound, but that starts with a ph so <laughs> check check phoenix watch out for phoenix yeah yeah so 
uh, that's that's not a story about Brian Vogt competing, but that's one of my favorite Brian Vogt stories. I love it, Miles. Thank you. And that that'll be the only time that that story probably gets told because they're they're not. Uh, there's no chance that Brian will come on and share that one. Or, yeah, sorry. Uh, anyone else? No, that's good. I like it. All in good fun. So let's go. Friday, August twenty eighth, week one, home contest. University preppers come to our campus. Starting off your senior season, these great expectations, the amount of work that was put into preparing so that this week one was going to look different than previous seasons where we kind of got out of the gate quick, but quickly fizzled or just kind of ran out of juice. Yeah, You guys prepared so that that was not going to be the case. Um Memories of going into that game prior to kickoff, whether it be the week of practice or just before kickoff that night. I, you know, I would even go back further a little bit into the summer um, because there, there are two things that really stick with me. Uh, one, I, there were a group of us having dinner out somewhere. And I, I can't remember. It might've been the colony um, in Cleveland Heights. And I remember Kent Green saying, it is unfathomable that we will lose to us. And I remember that so clearly because he used that particular word, that unfathomable. And I He's was a like, wordsmith. Yes, he is. <laughs> I, and that, like, I hadn't really considered all of that. Um, but when he used that word, I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, there's no, like, we've been working far too hard at this since the season ended last year for us to go out there and, and not win. So that unfathomable thing that that stuck with me. And then uh, one of the first days of training camp, we came in and we're testing and, you know, we had those ambitious goals of getting our shuttles right and everything. And uh, a lot of us did not make it that first day. And, that meant that we all would have to continue doing it until we made it, which is fine. That's the way it should be. But I remember we came back into the little hut thing. What do we call that? I don't even know. Uh, it was like a little, everybody uh, knows what we're talking about with, yeah, the, for sure. uh, with the gravel and the stuff. Yeah. You guys, you guys know what I mean. So we come back into there and everybody's, everybody's the pavilion miles. It's oh, the pavilion, the, pavilion. The, str- okay. the strong pavilion. Yes. Okay. That's what it is. It's been a little while since I've been out there. If you'll have to forgive me. So we come back into the pavilion and everybody's like, you know, like we just have to do better. It's this, it's that. And, you know, I can't believe we didn't do this. And Michael Mirabito just goes, well, Miles and I made it. I was like, (laughs) Beto, why did you do that? He just put you on blast. Yeah. I know I made it. Like, it's fine. We're team. Like, it's all good. But that, I don't know. It stuck out to me because it was like, Beto and I were very, very good partners on the offensive line. And so we did most things together. And that was one of those things that we did together. And everybody being mad, (laughs) Beto going miles and I made it. It's something that just sticks with me because it was like, look, we're holding each other accountable over here. You guys got to come match us. And then, you know, it happened and everybody made it and it was okay. But like, those are, those are the two things that, <laughs> that really stick with me 
um, from early in the senior year. And then I get, I mean, that night it, I, it was raining and it was lightning and we couldn't play when we were supposed to play. And that was weird because it was like all of the stuff that we'd done was for this one particular time where you expect to kick off on that night. And we didn't. And so it was kind of like, I remember sitting in that Brown gym and just being like, well, this is weird. And I don't remember who I was. I think it might've been Charlie Primus and I were talking to uh, talk and we are like, well, what happens if this rain doesn't stop? And he goes, well, we just play tomorrow when we beat them tomorrow. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. I think, I think with that, that lightning and the thunder delay that kept us inside, that could have been enough to derail other teams. I really do because talk about a hiccup in your approach and your preparation. You are spending all off season all week. It probably was one of the longest individual days of school (laughs) that year as you're trying to get through classes and make it to uh, pregame meal and then um, actually putting the pads on and to be able to press pause on that physical battle that was about to happen and to be able to be ready for it at now a slightly later time than we had initially planned for. I think that speaks to, uh, to your group. I really do. I, I, I really, I think it goes back to what Kent said about it being unfathomable, that unfathomable, easy for me to say that we would lose. I, I, it just, it didn't really matter the circumstance. Like we could have, we could have gone and played them in the parking lot, you know, and nobody could have watched. And I think that that result would have been the same because that was our attitude. So it, it was just you're probably right that it, it could have derailed other teams, but it, when you're working for something for that long, it's like if we got to wait, you know, a half hour, an hour or whatever it was to go out there and do what we need to do, take care of business, then that's OK. That's exactly right. So I want to hear what it was like to be on that offensive line that night in that 27 to 13 victory when we passed only three times the whole game. Oh, so freaking awesome. I mean, to just... <laughs> consistently send play call after play call in and know that it was about you guys up front clearing the way and getting body on body so that the Wilsons and Willens and hooks and whoever else was going to be carrying that rock. Um, we're going to be able to move those chains. Just, just talk about what that was like. Uh, all right. Not to, not to toot my own horn, but to particularly be me on that night was awesome because I don't know how many times we ran 26 power, but it was a lot, like a lot. It was, it was a lot. Like, I mean, if we ran 40 plays that night, I don't know, like probably a good 20 to 25 of them were 26 power. And it was fantastic. Like I got to pull so many times as the left guard and just come up and just, it's one of those things where Marshawn Lynch says, you know, you just run through somebody's face over and over and over and over again. It's there's no, there's no feeling like it. Would you say 20, you, you thought maybe 20 some powers? Uh, probably. There were 58 run attempts that day, Miles. <laughs> I bet, I bet you might be even on the low side. 
I was trying to be conservative. No, there. I know. I, <laughs> I know. But that right side of the line blocking down. Oh, hook, I had a clear hook, path every hook single kicking time. Out, hook kicking out on the end, man. And you wiping tight around up to level two. And I mean, love power. I love the power scheme. My oh, favorite play. Lo- love it. Oh, me too. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And I I I. I had one penalty in that game and we were in the red zone, I think. And it was either a hold or a false start. So I always think that that game should have really been 34 to 13, but I took us out of scoring position. So 27, 13 will work, but it should have be 34. Oh man. Don't beat yourself up over that one. But I will say that either coach Wilson or coach McClintock probably said it was the worst call in the history of <laughs> <laughs> They're probably laying into stripes pretty hard from our sideline. I'd like to think so. Probably not as bad as the worst 48 to 16 victory a couple weeks later against Gilmore that Talk had ever seen. I'm going to reach out and connect to him because I want to hear more context about that if he remembers that because the I've, I've talked to Posse and Wilson and now you're the third from this class and it's hilarious to hear you guys talk about that because I shoot, I don't remember it with the same, uh, (laughs) with with the same power that you guys obviously did. Well, there are two things that I really remember from that game. And I know we're talking about us, but I, I I want to get this in the (laughs) night before we had, we were all at somebody's house. I don't remember whose house it was, but we watched star Wars and the one thing, and it was uh, the last one, episode six, the last one is what I mean, the last good one. So at that point, you know, we're watching and Admiral Akbar says, it's a trap. And we're like, man, Bruiser, Zach McMaines, Bruiser, man, if we get into a situation tomorrow and you can do this, you got to come into the huddle and call <laughs> it's a trap check. <laughs> so we're up at the end of the game. And it could have been 48 to 16 at that point. I don't really remember, but we're up by a lot. And so the play call comes in, he comes into the huddle and he does it, calls a formation. It's a trap check on two, on two, ready. And it's like, we, we probably laughed out of the huddle, but we went and we ran the play. I don't remember if it went left or right, but it actually, he actually did it. That's so awesome. that was great. And then, yeah. And then talk after the game goes, that is the worst 48 to 16 victory I've ever seen. Good <laughs> like, job by McMaines to hold up okay. his end of the bargain and, uh, and bring it into the huddle. Good Absolutely. job. Bruiser. <laughs> so as that 27, 13, uh, sweet, sweet victory over the preppers is coming to an end on our home field. Talk about just the sense of accomplishment and pride with you and your teammates as those as the clock hits zeros and it becomes official and real. It it was like, I don't want to say it was almost like relief, but it sort of was. I mean, there was a point in there in the game where no, we, realized, yeah. we, we, where we realized we were going to do it, you know? And like, especially, you know, another talk story. I remember him talking about that quarterback saying he can't throw, he can't throw. And like, he's running up and down the sideline and saying he can't throw. And that's something I reference all the time. Like just whenever I look at quarterbacks these days and I'm, you know, seeing them, I just say to myself, man, I know exactly what talk would be saying about this guy. But like, I think once we sort of figured out, yeah, we're doing this, then it was like, we don't need to make another mistake. 
we just have to win. And once we did, it was like, not only do we do it, but then it's kind of like, all right, well, what's next? You know, like, obviously we, we celebrated, we were really, really, really happy. I, I do remember being really, really happy. And I remember my mom coming onto the field um, and just, you know, arms wide open and being like, wow, you guys, you know, like that was awesome. And it was, it was a special, special night, especially, I mean, we, you know, you can look on social media, people's social media profiles, right? Like everybody's got pictures of that night and that scoreboard and it's saying 27 to 13. And I think it was just so meaningful for us to have gone through what we'd all been through to set out the goals and then accomplish them. But then it was kind of like, well, what's next, you know? And I think that when you're good, you know, and we talked about it, I feel like before the season, it's like, all right, well, we, we beat us, nothing else matters. But then once you do it, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Everything else matters. Like, yeah. <laughs> because you've done the one thing and it's like, all right, well, what else can we do? So it was, that was, that was an awesome feeling. Yeah. I think that was the, uh, the unspoken, right. Is once that us victory became a reality, it was like, our approach just now changed because now it's going to be about sort of pumping the brakes a little bit, and not letting us get too far ahead. Right. Yeah. And I can remember talk and I coach McClintock and I, uh, heading into that locker room back in the school building kind of quick after everyone got there and you guys had your music on and you're celebrating and having a good time as you should. And I remember, uh, any senior that was coming out, we were like, listen, this, this has got the makings to be a special little run, but it doesn't happen without a week two. Right. And you, and you can't skip, can't skip ahead and let hiccups happen. So, and you guys were very open and in, in receiving that message. And it was, uh, it was kind of nice thing. It had been it because everything had just been so focused on week one. And that I think is the way the best teams do it. I mean, we can talk about this in any sport in anything, you know, if you are focused on the right things, then that's how you start to really accomplish your goals. That's how your goals start to snowball. You know, we were focused on the right stuff and you can't, you can't try to see the finish line before you even start the race, yep. you know? So once you start, and you, you're like, okay, well, we focused all of our energy on week one. Let's focus all of our energy on week two. And I, I really feel like that's the approach we took and it, it worked out for us. Hey, and good goal setting. You got to set it so that it's hard to reach, but when you do, you can adjust, right? right? You can adjust it and make it so that it's not just like, well, we arrived, we won week one. So, yeah. you know, this is, this is a victory. Yes. No so, so going into that week two contest against Lutheran West, um, a game in which we came out and put up 42 on them, beat them 42 to seven. Um, I think your junior year, was that the first year maybe we might've played them? Does that sound right? Was, did we play them the year prior? We played them my sophomore year, which I remember because I think it was the first time we had the lights on at the stadium. Correct. So this would have been the third installment of that game. Yes, so we yeah. traded off with them. Is that yes, how it worked? Yeah. Lost at our opener of the lights and then yes. won. No, actually, we because we started 0-4. That would be, so we started 0-2 actually yeah. against them. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. Had to work that one out. 
Oh, that's okay. I, the, the reason, the only reason I think I remember that Lutheran West game um, from my sophomore years because I was on the kickoff return team. And I think right before halftime, they they kicked the ball right at me, probably <laughs> because I was wearing number seventy four. So <laughs> who would think that number seventy four can field the kick? But I remember the rules. You don't turn around until the ball is past you. Yeah, I, it came right into me. I fielded it and I went right back into the womb, and that. that <laughs> That was one of the only times that I touched the football until uh, probably what week three or week four of my senior season. Nice. So game three, an away contest, uh, the worst 48 to 16 victory. We already talked a little bit about (laughs) it. Uh, uh, Is there anything else to mention from it or is the... uh... I think I think that you know it being the worst forty-eight to sixteen victory ever is the thing that I remember the most. That sounds like something Saban would say, or you know, <laughs> yes, something like absolutely. that. Like just miserable at a press conference. Just oh, that was the worst forty-eight to sixteen. <laughs> and you guys just want to keep praising them, and it's rat poison. Yeah, that's <laughs> and Miles, not just not just a forty-eight sixteen victory, but a forty-eight sixteen victory against a rival. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just wasn't good enough. <laughs> right. So short week, Saturday game yes. off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, short turnaround for a Thursday evening contest on the road at Kirtland. Short turnarounds are not fun, especially when it's against a quality opponent, which Kirtland yeah. was um, 31 to 28 victory for the Hawks. Uh, one of one of the more memorable football games, um, I would say, in program history. Wow. Wow. Um, I think the ride home was probably memorable, too, since John Wilson drove the bus, or at least he would have <laughs> if he had his CDL. Uh, but John, John was incredible that game. John was, it, John was as effective as any time that he had ever played the sport. And I can't wait to hear his episode um, because I'm curious as to what he thinks about this. But like, I remember being on the sideline um, before we were supposed to go out there on offense for that drive and thinking, all right, we're going to score. Like there's no, there's, I I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to score. And then he took the darn thing all the way back to the end zone and we didn't have to. And uh, that was, that was wild. And the other, that game is sort of why I I mentioned, you know, it was one of the only other times I touched the football. So and I was starting left guard for, you know, the entire season, except for that game where uh, for uh, it sounds even weirder on a short week, but Beto and I switched. So Beto played left guard in that game and I played center because at that time I was making a lot of the calls on the OL anyway. And so I guess the thought was if miles is making the calls, miles should be the one snapping the ball. And I remember after that game, Beto and I uh, went to talk and we're like, you know, talk like this worked fine, but it's probably better if we go back to the way that it was. How was that to uh, just get plugged in? I mean, no time to, like you said, short week, no time to really uh, dwell on it. Yeah, I think it, I think it was fine. I mean, as like I said, I, I was making a lot of the calls up front and I or I was like feeding them to Beto and, you know, we'd feed them all down the line or whatever it was. I don't, I don't remember being that uncomfortable with it, which is weird because I'd never really snapped in my life. So it stands to reason that I should have been more uncomfortable with it than I was, but I guess it's because 
I knew what the plays were. I knew what we were trying to do. Um, and so I just kind of did it. But I think at the end of that game, we were like, this, this works better when we're at the positions where we've been training for. Dude, thank you for sharing that. I, that completely cleared my mind. I did not remember <laughs> that at all. I didn't. Yeah. No. Wow. That's, uh, that's impressive, man. That's impressive. Usually you make that type of change on that short of notice on a three and O season. And it's like, Oh yeah, the center jammed his thumb this week. And so we're just going to like let him heal at guard for a week or something, but that's wow. Yeah. Um, back to Wilson for a second. Here's the, this is what's so crazy to me about that Kirtland game is that is, that is the high point of that year from an individual standpoint, not from a team standpoint, but if I'm sure. thinking of an individual standpoint, that is, that, that is hard to not draw attention to it. And the fact that that game garners that thought is crazy because the previous week at Gilmore, he had two touchdowns on the ground, two touchdowns receiving a kick return for a touchdown I mean, I didn't realize he had one in that one, too. Wow. Yeah, he had five <laughs> touchdowns in that game. And that'll be the second thing that people mention about that year when they go, yeah, how was John's senior year? Well, yeah, but he had, that's because he had a really that good the, Kirtland game. That's because that's the worst 48 to 16 victory you've ever yeah. seen. So that's why. <laughs> no, yeah. good point. That's the worst five touchdown performance, I think, in history. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. Yeah. So that 31 to 28, were you on kickoff return? I was not. You were not. So you got no. to see it from the sideline. I did. Yeah. Do you remember that play specifically? I remember, I remember looking at him and, and thinking, oh my God, he's going to do this. Um, because I just, you know, like I was focused on, all right, we got to, I used to have a mantra that I would tell myself either pregame or before like big drives, like you got to be smart, tough, focused, and physical. Yeah, like I, remember that. I was telling myself that as we we're standing there on the sideline, you know, maybe jumping up and down or whatever, you know, get yourself revved up and, you know, the kickoff goes to him and I'm thinking, all right, you know, we're, we're starting at the 20, the 25, 30, whatever it is, we're going to be okay. I, we just have to make sure that we get this thing in because we need to win this game. And I just remember as he's running down that sideline, I was like, holy smokes. Like I, we actually don't need to go do this. Like, <laughs> I guess I just rev myself up for nothing. <laughs> Well, I, we're working the phones like maniacs after that score by them as we're getting ready to trot off the field and put our kickoff return team. And we are just working down the list and we are creating packaged plays that we are going to throw out there as fast as we can to McMaines. We're talking it through with Zach and you know, you don't know, are you going to, are they going to decide to kick it deep and get into one and we get it on the 20 or are we going to get a little bit of a return and be around the 35? You you don't know. Yeah. And uh, so we're putting plays together and all of a sudden it's like, all right, pops up to Wilson. Wilson's, you know, starting to make it happen and he's finding his holes between the hash. And finally, and this was funny where he talks about it because he, he gave credit in the paper to Ryan Sala for the final <laughs> block. It wasn't Sala. He said it was Hoffman. <laughs> oh, no. So I was like, hey, forever. they should both get credit, right? Sala the night of and then Hoffman every day after. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so we're, we're sitting at 4-0. And, oh, and uh, we now have 
a uh, game against Fairport Harbor coming up. This is a uh, a game that is not close. Yeah. Uh, from the get go, uh, one in which we put fifty four up on the uh, up on the scoreboard against them, and uh, we actually duplicate fifty four the following week as well, where just the offense is clicking. I mean, we're from week two on, we're 42, 48, 31, 54, 54. It's, uh, it's moving we went running clock. I remember either in both of those games or at least in one of those games, at least against Richmond Heights, both, which tells been, you a yeah, lot. Yeah. I think it might've been both. And if the rule was what it currently is, if you know, you hit that plus 30 marker in the second half, it goes in right away back then. I don't know if you had that rule in place. I think it was more like gentlemen's coach coming out at halftime being like, yeah. Hey, we can run it. Yeah. And yeah, the other coach I've, would be like, okay, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we are sitting there at uh, six and zero now, and we go game seven on the road and uh, we are traveling over to independence, a game against a quality opponent, a, um, an opponent that was similar to us in that they had a pretty, pretty large uh, senior class that had kind of gone through uh, the previous seasons and it was their turn to shine now bad weather night their oh, field horrible. was trash it, it was, was a, it was so an absolute bad. pig pen it was um it cleats were worthless um it, it looked like mud skating when you when you tried to stick and stack and really you know hold your block um and it was a, a hard-fought game one in which we came up on the short end uh 14 to 7 so losing that first game yeah you know I, I remember obviously the end of that game where it looked like we had gotten a first down with the clock and stop and all that. But the thing that I, I remember the most was we shouldn't have put ourselves in that position because over the course of the game, there's however many plays. And so if you let it come down to that, then that's your fault. And that's something that like, that's a philosophy. And I don't remember, you know, if, if coach said that in the locker room after the game or not, he might've, um, but that's something that I've taken with me in my entire philosophy of sports and like almost in life too. Like just, if something comes down to one moment, then I'll put it this way. Usually most things in life don't come down to one moment. There are many, many, many moments that lead up to that. So if you don't put yourself in position um, for that one moment to not go your way, then it's not as big of a deal as it might seem. It's comical how these fans associate the last play as the reason that their team lost in right. some of the, in, I mean, it's just, it's laughable yes. and it's almost, it, you hear, you hear these fans, whether it's a team you're rooting for or just, you know, a national, whatever. And you're like, did you ever play any organized sport at all? Because do you have any concept of what goes in and what actually constitutes deciding a game? Right. Right. I mean, like parts of that game were decided on Tuesday, you know, right. Parts of the game were decided on Wednesday. Yeah. And, you know, obviously like the way the game ended, it, it looks like, you know, we, we had a chance, but, if we don't shoot ourselves in the foot throughout that entire game, then it doesn't come down to that. hundred percent miles. Very well put. Um, and if that was the last we saw of that trash field, 
And if that was the last we saw of that worthy opponent, that would have really stuck in our side all these years later. But to just have that sweet opportunity later on in week 11 that we'll talk about is just fantastic. No doubt. So we get that first hiccup and it's week seven and you're wondering how we're going to respond to it because yeah, it takes away the undefeated season, which was a goal. uh, And I'm sure a lot of the senior uh, goal sheets in their lockers, but it does not cancel, which was probably one B or two on everyone's goal sheet, which was qualify for the postseason. Right. And so in game eight, we have a game uh, at home against Cuyahoga Heights. And if uh, if independence was a tall task, Cuyahoga Heights is uh, equally as uh, difficult of an opponent. Um, the amount of skill on their team at all the right positions, this is a triple option veer team. Um, you think of what you need for that offense. You need to have a good offensive line, check. You need to have a bruising, quick-hitting fullback, check. You need to have available slots that can do something with the ball if they receive the pitch, check. Yeah. And you need you need a difference maker, and that was the quarterback. And yeah. um, this was the first time all year that uh, we struggled to have an answer kind of on both sides of the ball. And it was a, uh, it was a humbling night for sure to, to get beat in the way we did and to get shut out by a super quality Cuyahoga Heights team. You know, I don't think we ever defeated Cuyahoga Heights as a class, whether it was freshman ball all the way through. And in some ways, looking back on it now, I almost feel like it was a little bit of a mental block, especially when we got to the postseason. Um, but I'll tell you, man, that that night in particular was a night where I was very glad that I was not playing defense because I just remember looking out there being like, this is this is really hard to stop. And we didn't. Shout out to the JV team that year of 09. Uh, we defeated Calga Heights 14 to 12. So oh, well, there we go. So I like I said, it was us as a class because we weren't playing JV at that time. <laughs> no, you were not. <laughs> So now two in a row and it's like, shoot, you know, all of the, uh, all of the confidence and all of the, uh, swag that you need to, uh, to go about your business. I don't want to say question because you're, we're not questioning it at all. And I know that the players aren't questioning it at all, but two in a row, uh, can kind of make you wonder what the heck, you know? And I think it reminds us as we're thinking back to it, I think it reminds you how difficult it just is to win a football game. Oh yeah. You don't just roll out and and get dubs. I mean, (laughs) it is a difficult task at hand. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think, I think part of it though, was especially that second game, it just felt like that wasn't us that, and we just need to go back to being us. And, you know, I, I hate to call any team a get right game, but like, that's kind of what Cardinal was. And yeah. we, we felt it and uh, we got out, we went out there and we got right. Uh, by way of 45 to six, that yeah. was a, uh, a get right game at home, which was, uh, which was much needed. One in which uh, 
we got clicking and did everything that we needed to uh, from all three facets of, of the game. It was senior night and I didn't play in this game because I pulled my hamstring during the practice week while running forties on uh, the practice field. So from then on, we didn't practice on the uh, muddy practice field anymore. At least not that week. Who jumped in your place at left guard? Oh gosh. I wish I could remember. I don't remember off the top of my head, man. I don't. Mincer. Somebody. It might've been Mincer. It probably, it probably was. Howie. It might have been Powie. It was either Mincer or Powie. Well, it might have been even uh it might have even been a collaboration effort yeah. there on by those yeah. two. But yeah, I do. I I didn't it was one of those weird things because I remember almost being a little bit grateful that I wasn't playing when we were doing all the senior night festivities. And like I got my mom like next to me during pregame and we're like taking a picture, and I'm like, this is a weird time to like go like then focus on trying to play a football game. Um but I it's not, it's not like I wanted to pull my hamstring. I definitely did not. Right. So I was, I was definitely back out there uh, the next week for Beachwood. What's that like to know that that is more than likely the uh, last time that you will have the wings on the helmet at the home stadium? And I know you weren't, you said you weren't dressed for that, but yeah. talking about it from the standpoint of you and your teammates, what, what goes through sort of your mind thinking about that uh, that final check at home? We sat in the end zone. I don't remember exactly who it was, but there was a group of us, and we sat in the end zone for a long time after that game just because we knew it was the last, likely the last time that we would ever be able to do that um, after a game. And it was kind of like, you know, we want to remember this. You know, what the lights feel like, what it feels like to be out here with your teammates, what it feels like to win here um so yeah I, I i do remember sitting in that end zone and being like man this is this is a little wild that this is the last time this is we're gonna be doing this yeah so that week nine game against cardinal is the last home game and so you kind of have that those thoughts going through that final prep of the home game and then week 10 is that away game at beachwood which brings about a whole new sort of final check, so to speak. Uh, I think about some of the traditions of that final week of the season, even though we still have these week 11 uh, aspirations, you don't plan for what might be week 11. You still do it week 10. And so you have your, your baby bowls and your, uh, your senior handshake. I think of senior handshake as just, uh, such a great, punctuation mark on the season and a four-year career for that class because we finish in the end zone and my dad will say something to the effect of seniors on the back line and I can I can remember just whether it was my class or the classes as a coach how quick that time feels like it goes yeah and you're the one now standing on that back end line and the freshmen go by and give their thanks and the sophomores go by and give their thanks and the juniors and then the coaching staff and then left to right as you're looking at them, the seniors double down and work their way down to their classmates. And it's such a powerful moment. And it's one of my favorites because um, anytime that you can have a genuine communication of appreciation and gratitude at that age, I think is really, really cool. 
Yeah. Because at that age, I mean, let's be honest, not the most mature at times, but definitely not to have those moments where you just, you thank someone genuinely and uh, tell them what they meant to you. is just, it's powerful and it's really cool. Yeah. And I think especially given how big our class was and, you know, how much we all definitely meant to one another that um, that made that even more special. But I think, you know, part of it too was we don't want this to be the last practice that we have. And that attitude toward it, I think played a little into our mentality of like, all right, you know, we're, we're appreciating each other, but this is not like it was, when we were freshmen, it's not like it right. was when we were sophomores. It's certainly not like it was last year. You know, we know that we have our certain goals and we have to go out and we got to meet our expectations and our expectation was to win. For sure. So that's Saturday. Yeah. And it was the roughest um, weather over at Beachwood. It was so windy and so cold. And uh, we went over there and shut them out 35-0. Any sort of uncertainty about oh man could we possibly not make it in you know and just get eked out by like a fraction of a point we're put to bed and uh that celebration there on uh on Beachwood's field on Saturday and to be able to know that we weren't turning the equipment in we were going to jump on the bus and head back that short trip to Gates Mills and call out some tangs and get ready for week 11 prep not knowing who it was yet But uh, at that point, it didn't matter. It was just about we knew we were going to be in the postseason. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, it was the realization of a dream that we had all had, you know. And for us to break that playoff drought really meant something. You know, just like for us to have broken the drought and, you know, getting those shirts and beating U.S. Like that, that meant so much to us. Uh, One thing I do remember from that game is Beachwood did not like how bad we were beating them. And at one point I came around on a 26 power and I'm blocking the guy and he just tackles me. (laughs) It just like lowers me into the ground and there's like grass and mud all in my face mask. And I'm like coming back to the home. I'm like, what happened? And I was like, everybody's getting the crap out of my face mask. And I'm like, I, I guess they just didn't like that. You know, when I was coming around and blocking them on 26 power. Hey, when you get beat on 26 power that many times and you have no answer other than to tackle the puller, <laughs> you are not any closer to making the tackle on the ball carrier. You're, really just, not. you're just telling everyone who's watching you, you have no resolution whatsoever to how yeah. to make this play work. You're just mad. You're just mad. You just got to run through a guy's face. Like Marshawn says, <laughs> he doesn't say guy though. So, so week 11, when we find out that it is going to be a rematch against independence and it is going to be back at their field, man, I mean, excited to find out you're playing in the postseason is already at a fever pitch. Now you say that we get a chance to knock off a team that got one on us. I just, that was a crazy week of prep. And I just remember there were some serious special feels going on heading into that game. Revenge is sweet. That was our theme all week. And, you know, Greg talked about this on his episode where he would go up and 
at school meeting and he would say it's the biggest game of our season so <laughs> we, we really need you guys to support and like it it was a little bit different that week you know as the kids say now it hit different uh, when greg <laughs> went up in uh on the podium and he said that it, because it really really was and you know from our standpoint i mean as we we're talking about earlier right like we knew we'd made mistakes in that game um, previously that we'd had that we'd lost up there and to be able to go back and to say, look, we know exactly what we need to do. We know we're perfectly capable of doing it. We just have to go and do it. I, I think that that was really special. And to, uh, to be able to do that was, was pretty awesome. So we go out to that field, which still looked very similar to when we uh, were out there week seven and the final score ends up being the exact same, except flip to the good guys, 14 to seven. But I'll tell you, it felt different and it didn't feel like it should have been that close. Yes. Um, that throw it up right before halftime completion that got, <laughs> completed just over John Wilson's fingertips. Uh, he'll talk about how chapped he was about that. <laughs> but uh, You weren't too happy either, as yeah. I recall it. No, no, I probably wasn't. <laughs> because you know, like you're sitting there and you're like, one play to get to the field house or right. to the locker room. Yeah, and and we, just played a, we just played a smack good first half. And you're like, let's go, let's get recalibrated. Let's come out and let's double it and see if we can't get a shutout. And to see that be executed by them. And you're like, son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was really, that was annoying because it felt like it good marred. way to put it. Good it, way to it put just it. Was. It just was, you know, like it felt like it marred like what we've been doing out there. And like we had been executing at a really high level offensively you know? and to see that. And it's like, <laughs> they shouldn't have been able to do that. You know, and it just is what it is. It's it's a football. Those things will happen sometimes. But I think the way that we responded by continuing to control the ball in the second half, it, it was awesome. And then yeah, Matt definitely. makes the big play at the end. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Was that Greg who talked about how big of a game Miller had in that yeah. uh, second yeah, matchup against Independence? Man, right. he was awesome that game. So week 11 – you get a win and anytime you can rock some tangs in the postseason, that's kind of cool. That's really, that's really kind of cool. And, uh, I want to take a moment here and talk about the evolution of your role in tangs on the way home, <laughs> because your class, you really got into them because when you think about all yeah. oh, seniors lead the tangs to start off or the captains or whatever, when you got 18 guys, there's a lot of characters that can sort of put their fingerprint on what tangs are. Yes. And uh, we can get into to Linus's efforts uh, and what those looked like and sounded like as well. <laughs> <laughs> but your, your introduction of Motown and getting the whole team to jump in and sing along to the Tang was such a team shared effort because you would start off and your first line would be something about leading up to the game. And everyone's like, Ooh, how's, how's miles gonna, how's he going to uh, fit this in or how's he going <laughs> to rhyme it? And then you would break out into some classic Motown song that everyone knew. And, 
everyone would let you sing just maybe the first couple words of it. And then when it hit the hit the refrain, man, everyone jumped in and sang until sometimes the completion of the song. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> I just I remember people asking me for a song more than me making up the tangs myself. <laughs> Maybe that's because I'm trying you had a to good like, voice, be man. altruistic. You had a good I voice. Did, you know, that uh, that worked out well for me, I think. Um, but yeah, that was that was fun, man. I mean, I remember <laughs> I remember really everybody liked that. Like yeah. that was, it was, I, that's one of the things that I do remember the most about bus rides home is that like I had to sing and it was universally liked. And like, I remember we did ain't too proud to beg a lot. Like that was probably the one we might've done the most because I would get to say, I know you want to leave me. And then everybody else would sing, but I refused to let you go. And they knew what time it was. My dad would not admit that he enjoyed tangs probably at all. <laughs> But if he if he did decide to think about it for a second, you're probably in his top list of uh, performers of Tangs because my dad is a huge Motown fan. And for you to break out some of the classics into uh, the postgame bus celebration, I mean, that kind of puts you in high marks there, Miles. I, I'm not going to say that I specifically remember him saying that, but I yeah, do. Right? Like, there is a feeling that I have of him very much enjoying the Motown ones. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so my dad speaks a little bit of German, but not enough to enjoy Linus's. So. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think we any of us did. Like, it was just it was like we just wanted him to say butterfly Schmetterling. And what then was, like, if he could do that, then it was great. What was the origin story of him doing that the first time? Like, how Gosh, did that come I, to be? Was someone like, hey, Linus, you know what you should do? Because my, I might be off on this. I feel like it was the Streetsboro scrimmage coming home for, or from ooh. a scrimmage. And he rocked his first one in German for some reason. That's my recollection of it. I could be like misplacing, but I would love to know it. Did someone like kind of coax him into doing that first one in, uh, in German or what? Boy, I wish I could remember because I know it's a good question. And it's something that I probably should know, but I don't. And, and but I just remembered that like after a certain point, it was like, okay, like that's something that he has to do because oh. when we win, <laughs> yeah, like that's, we just, it doesn't matter what he's saying. He could be cussing us all out. It doesn't matter. We don't know. We just know that we enjoy it. And so yeah. that's something that he, he has to do that we have to hear. Um, the bus went crazy when he did it <laughs> and not because anyone knew what he said, Yes, but there was enough of that. Uh, I know what the rhythmic pattern is doing. So I know where he's going with it. Exactly. <laughs> all right, man. So we are week 12. We have a, uh, a second rematch in the postseason against, uh, that Cowga Heights team that uh, took us out in week eight. And uh, we this time have a rematch against them on a neutral site. And we head over to Solon High School. Um, I think a game that we we had a much better feel and a game plan going in on how to best get into our gaps on defense and to stop that running attack of theirs, how to have a, a couple more answers on offense to be able to move the ball in a way that uh, we're not going to get shut out again. And, uh, and as has been mentioned, uh, with Greg and also with John, man, you can have a great plan. And then that first play, it all goes out the window because their quarterback is just that stinking special. Yeah. Uh, what's the, the Tyson says, everybody's got a great plan until you come out and get hit in the mouth. Right. Yes. And, uh, unfortunately, I think that's what happened. I mean, I think though, like one of the things that I remember about that week 
is thinking, man, we're playing into November. Oh, this is cool. I'm kind of tired, but there's, I, I like this, you know? And it's like, cause I like when we get to play on Fridays and, you know, practices with the just, lights on because it's just so dark at that yeah. point. I mean, it's pretty special. You uh, not a lot of teams have been able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was probably the first time where, you know, as, as it says on the, the practice sheet, you know, or the call, whatever you want to call it, the call sheet that, um, and that game at, for the game, you know, we expect to win if, however, you know, like, it didn't seem like if, however, was a thing the previous week against independence really didn't. But if, however, I think started to creep into our minds, maybe a little bit that week, just because we'd never beaten them. And I, I, I remember being at halftime of that game. Actually, I want to tell the story first, cause this is really funny and I hope somebody else remembers it. So during practice that week, um, talk was mad about something because <laughs> I'm in theme here now from that year. So, but it was a play that we, one of the few plays that we probably hadn't blocked really well uh, in that independence game. And where this is like Monday or Tuesday of practice. And he's like, all right. So if this happens, then what are you supposed to do? And we're like, well, then you do X. And he's like, oh, so it's not Y. And we're like, no, (laughs) he's like, well, no freaking stuff. Except he didn't say freaking stuff. So that, (laughs) was uh one of the few times where he really got that mad at practice but like that was what it was that's the intensity that's playoffs man and like i think it it's not like it hadn't sunk in that we were in the postseason before but it was like no like we have to continue to raise our level we have to continue to raise our game if we're going to go out and do what we want to do in this game so by the time we got there i mean we we weren't going to beat them and you know it became pretty clear early on and the thing that i remember is being in at halftime and being in that locker room and talk coming over and he was like hey i i just want to make sure you guys are okay and it wasn't about playing anymore it was just look we've got pride and we know we can do something let's let's go out and leave a better taste in our mouths in the second half because you guys have ability and i think especially after we got shut out, you know, in that first game, it meant something for us to score. And I remember John taking that slant and just standing there at left guard. that was pass Brock. And I was like, man, that dude is really good. Like he's really good. I'm so glad that I got to play with this guy. Um, so that's, that's what I remember the most about that week. I like that story. And you know what? It, the results didn't end up the way we wanted, but for the game, to finish the final quarter the way that we wanted it to, I think was important because, you know, it it could have been easy to come out in the second half and just really feel like, you know, it's just a matter of time and that we felt defeated at that point. But you guys came out and you battled all four quarters. And as a coaching staff, that's always, that's, that's what you ask of your team. Right. And for you guys to do that and to, to put three touchdowns in, um, before the game was over, um, it changes the initial sting. I think of the outcome. It makes it, uh, like you, like you said, you know, as you're watching a teammate score that touchdown, it's like, you kind of have this appreciation moment. Like, you know what, we're they're they're good and they have our number, but we're pretty darn good too. Yeah, 
Absolutely. For sure. So that, that season ends at nine and three. And, you know, as we talked about all the work that went in to prepare for a senior season and to be able to come together and just do the things and execute the things that needed to be done for a nine and three season to go into the second week of the postseason uh, requires a lot. And if you haven't been through it, you don't, you don't get it, but, uh, special, special. And I know that you and your uh, classmates know how special it was and that, uh, a, a lot of those memories and those shared experiences, uh, stay close to you. And, uh, you reference them from time to time. Absolutely. No, it was, it was really special. I mean, I, I, I remember being in the locker room after that game and all of us were crying and I probably was too, because it was, that's hard. You know, when, when something that you've put so much effort into over a four year span and it comes to an end and you're like, man, this is, this really is the last time that we're going to be able to do this, that you're grateful um, you're sad and, uh, yeah, it, 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 I think, you know, for a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds, it's, it's kind of emotionally weighty stuff. Um, yeah. but, uh, it was, it, 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 you look back on that time and you think, man, you know, to, to be able to commit to something as we did, um, and to bring it to fruition, like we did that, it, it, it is definitely special. Yeah, Miles. So I'm thinking just, you know, big picture for you specifically, you come in as this freshman who makes the uh, commitment and decision to join a football team for the first time. And you fast forward now and you're at Solon's field and you just completed this nine and three season where you went into the second round of the postseason, had a great, had a great run with great teammates. And uh, just talk about from that opening freshman moment to closing senior moment. And you you talked about commitment to football, what that commitment to football can bring you. um, That isn't just about the wins. Oh gosh. I, you know, especially as you win more, like we used to, when we were, you know, freshmen through juniors, Wins were so special because we had five of them a year. We had four of them a year. And then we get to be seniors and we had four in our first four weeks. And so at that point, you know, the stuff that you traditionally do when you win, it's kind of like, all right, let's, we don't need to do all that. You know, like we can, we can blow past that because like, it's not that winning isn't special, but it's like this win is not, as special as and we had a running clock against Fairport. Like we can go, we can go beyond this. We had a running clock against Richmond Heights. Like we get it. We won, you know? And I think <laughs> that like that attitude, it, it's, it's figuring out how to be successful, figuring out how to be a team and work with people that you may not like every single one of them, 18 guys like that are, you know, 17 and 18 years old. You're not going to like every single one of them. There's not, but if you figure out how to respect those people, how to work with those people, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's how you can be successful. I I take those kinds of things with me every single day. I I really do. Um, And, you know, especially, you know, given what I do, and I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but football has been such a huge, huge part of my life. Um, 
And to be able to do what we did as seniors and, you know, commit to something that really made us all better um, in, you know, ways that were successful on the field and then off the field, it just, I think that attitude of winning and that expectation of winning, you know, and figuring out how you actually have to win, uh, I, I think that that changed us all for the better in a lot of ways. Very nicely put, Miles. <clears throat> Completely agree with what you just said there. All right, how about a little two-minute drill? Okay, let's go. Any significance to your jersey number? No, it was the one that I was given, but at this point, I, it's something that I associate with myself. You got to do both. Would you have rather run a 800 or a shuttle? Oh my God, uh, a shuttle probably. What upperclassman had the biggest impact on you? Uh, Mike Scott, Mike Scott, or Mike Hook too, because after he hit me one day in early practice, I never wanted to be hit like that again. <laughs> Favorite sports movie? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the Replacements is up there. <laughs> okay. It's really random. <laughs> Best player you played against? Oh, best player I played against. Um, man, that's a good question too. Uh, probably one of those D tackles on Cuyahoga Heights. Yeah. Um, what makes fudge good? Cookies and cream. Oh, cookies and cream. Okay. And love. It's got to be love. It's got to be made with love. What was your favorite tradition? Oh, I love them all. Um I really like tangs. Tangs are great. My favorite tradition. <laughs> the winning one. Yeah. Um, outside of 26 power, what play could you diagram from your senior year playbook? Oh, uh, trap. <laughs> watch, out. A, watch out. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> um, biggest hit given. Or received? Do you remember uh, a specific oh, my, hit that Mike Hook got me? I was holding a bag, and there, and Mike Hook pulled, and this was like practice. I was like a freshman. He came around, and he was not messing around, man. He hit me so hard, I was so like, that's the biggest hit I've ever received, and it, that's probably why I didn't play defense. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We're out of time, but one last one: spend okay. a day with a good book or a good music album. Oh, why can't we have both? <laughs> because questions are terrible and you got to make it an either or the majority of the time. Oh, let's say good, good album. I'll enjoy the good album more than I will the good book, probably. Have you uh, discovered anything uh, new recently that you're uh, really enjoying? Um, it's less new, more just classics. I've been going back just to... refinding stuff. Yeah, Stevie Wonder's five albums in the 70s to start off, you know, which he won Grammys for, I think, at least three of them. I should really know that off the top of my head, but... It's a good string. Those, those five albums are really fantastic. Miles, what are you up to these days? Uh, so I am a writer for Pro Football Talk um, of NBC Sports, so... I also uh, co-host uh, PFTPM, um, which is on their new streaming service, Peacock. On uh, usually do that Thursdays and Fridays, but select other days as well. So, yeah, that's why I say like 
Hawking football has a lot to do with what I've done for the rest of my life. Because right after college, I, I started working for the Rams as um, one of their in-house reporters. And from there, I've gone uh, to Las Vegas to cover the Raiders. I've covered the Carolina Panthers for a short time. And now here I am on Pro Football Talk, you know, talking about football and covering football professionally. Um, and there's no way that I could be as good as it, at, at it as I am. Um, and have, you know, gotten to the places where I've been to without, uh, without having played the game. And like, there's, I remember one time I was in the Rams locker room and I used to do these play diagrams. We called them all 22 for the Rams. And, um, one of the guards on the team came up to me and we were talking about something else. And he's like, well, you used to play, didn't you? I mean, I can tell you play cause you, you talk about the game, like you used to play it. And I it was like, the best compliment I'd ever received because I mean, did I play in college? Absolutely not. But do I have some sort of knowledge of the game from having played it a little bit? Yes, I do. So that, uh, I took a lot of pride in that. Who was the player who said that? Uh, Jamon Brown. That's awesome. Yeah. That, I mean, you are going to remember that forever. I definitely will. So how did the Rams gig first come, uh, to be? Um, I was working in Charlotte, uh, at sporting news and they had had this job posted for a long time. Um, because the guy who used to be their in-house reporter had moved on to ESPN and they hadn't hired anybody else, um, over the last year. And, you know, I, I actually had applied to it when I was still in school, but I was still in school and they weren't going to, you know, do anything. With that. <laughs> sure. So the job was still open over the summer, right after I graduated. And um, one of the folks who worked there was looking for uh, people who had covered football for their college newspapers. And I did that when I was at Columbia, I cover, I was sports editor for the student newspaper and I covered the football team. They went, zero and 10, um, my last year there but the best uh, written articles recapping uh, it absolutely um we did video stuff too so yeah they they reached out to me and asked if i wanted to apply to it i said heck yeah and you know a week or so later i was on a plane to st louis and it's you know been well, wow. gone well from there that's awesome uh ever talked to any of these guys uh about your Hawking days or the, the program at all, or does it not really come up too much? I, <laughs> I try not to mainly because like, if, if I'm in a private moment and, you know, I've had a couple cold ones, like I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how I used to be actually really good pulling guard. The funny thing is, I mean, people need photographic evidence to really sure. believe that I actually was a guard. Like the more people that I talk to, um, they're like, you were not a guard. You're too small for that. And I was like, oh, well, let me tell you. I was number 74 in high school and my favorite play was 26 power. So that's my, <laughs> that's one of the favorite things that I do is like talk to offensive line coaches in the league. And then like, sort of like, sort of, sort of slip that into conversation. And then like, they're like, oh, and then they actually really start talking to me about ball. It's that's awesome. It's a good, it's a good trick. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's a good little tease bait right there. Yeah. Two quick ones, and then we'll get you out of here. Okay. Uh, Browns impressions from uh, this past weekend's draft, and just kind of where they're heading this year. I think that the Browns have had a really, really good off season. And like I, you know, as I say that, I'm sitting at my television set here, and there's a Browns helmet behind me. So you know, I realize this is an audio medium, but and yes, that I, I am biased. But look, I think when you go out and you sign free agents that the team would have really liked to keep, 
But for the salary cap situation, like John Johnson, who I got to know a little bit in his time with the Rams, like he is a very, very, very good player. The Rams did not want to give up John Johnson. They just could not afford to pay him because they brought in guys like Jalen Ramsey and paid him. You paid Aaron Donald a lot of money. You paid Jared Goff a lot of money now to go away. So, that you you know, you have Matthew Stafford in there now. So you have these anchor points that they like to talk about as contracts. You're not going to be able to pay everybody. So unfortunately, sometimes you have to develop people and let them go. That's what happened with John Johnson. That's the kind of free agent that you want. Somebody just off their rookie contract who can come in and can be a real leader on defense. And you're not counting on him to be the best guy on defense. All right. You've got Miles Garrett. You've got Denzel Ward. Those are your stars. It's the same thing I say about Jadevian Clowney, man. Like you don't want Jadevian Clowney to be the best person on your defense because he gets hurt all the time. That's not his fault, but it's true. The best ability is availability. So if you have those guys that are already on the team and already are established stars and you bring in somebody like Clowney, like Miles Garrett, you know, you look at what they did in the draft and all those different guys, you have a defense now that can match its offense in terms of production, at least on paper. We have to see how it plays out. But when you have somebody like Kevin Stefanski, who seems like a real adult running the Browns, which is not something that the Browns have had in my lifetime, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. It's amazing what a front office and a coach can do, right? Because just ineptitude for year after year after year after year, and they clearly have the right people in place. Yes, there's no doubt about it. And so I think, you know, you can trust Andrew Barry. You can trust Kevin Stefanski. When you put in place a program that can go out and win a playoff game without you, you're doing something right. Um, last one, which which one of these is going to heat up quicker here shortly? The uh, Aaron Rodgers situation or the Deshaun Watson one? Oh, that's a good question. It could it be just, either It just or. feels like... There are, ro- there are roads that are being driven down where it just feels like you kind of know the end result. Yes, absolutely. And look, if if um, the 22 plaintiffs end up settling with Deshaun Watson, their cases, then that situation is probably going to heat up really quickly after that. There was a chance that that could have happened before the draft, and then it didn't. Uh, but you can tell, look, the Texans are planning for life after Deshaun Watson. They've got Tarod Taylor. They've got Davis Mills now that they just drafted. So they, the writing's on the wall, and I think were, they were trying to drive the price up before all of uh, these cases became known. Now they're like, yeah, we just know we need to do the best we can. And in the NFL, production equals tolerance. So whether Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended for four games, eight games, an entire season – somebody's going to want that guy because he can be an elite franchise quarterback Um, with Aaron Rodgers, man. I don't know how the Packers have messed this up so bad. Like you've got a generational QB. What are you doing? But it's not a one-off season issue here. This is just, it feels like it keeps regurgitating itself and no one learns from the previous off seasons. Yeah. It's, it's, it's when you have a guy not publicly saying this, but leaking from his camp that he would like the general manager to be fired. That's, I don't know how you fix that situation. I really don't. That doesn't seem like a tenable thing. So I don't know. Some people I work with have been like, well, how do you, if you're the 49ers check in with the Packers on uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, before you draft Trey Lance at three, I'm like, because it's Aaron freaking Rodgers, you know? And I think that 
if you have a chance to go out and get a guy who can pretty clearly immediately elevate you to championship level, then you, you at least try to do it. Trey Lance is still an unknown. Um, but it, all indications, at least at this point, are that either Aaron Rodgers is going to be in a situation where he is like forced to retire and maybe go host Jeopardy, or he could be playing for the Denver Broncos by the time the season starts. So, so it is certainly an interesting situation to follow right now. Off-season NFL storylines. Uh, there are plenty of people that like that. It never, the NFL never stops. There's no real NFL offseason except for like the three weeks around 4th of July. Unless somebody is, you know, having fireworks and blowing off their hands like Jason Pierre-Paul, <laughs> then uh, we are getting a DUI or something else where they're just doing something they're not supposed to do. Then that's the only quiet time we get. For sure. Good takes, Miles. Uh, any any final thoughts about uh, your your time with uh, the Hawk and football program before we wrap this up? I, I I would just say that I and I guess I kind of said this before. Like it was it was extremely um, it's been an extremely fundamental part of my life. If if I didn't if I didn't play Hawk and football, I don't know where I would be or what I would be doing. You know, there's probably a number of different things, but uh, I know that because of Hawk and football, especially because of the success that we had as a group, um, I love the sport. It's given me so, 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 so much. And I am grateful every day that I played Hawk and football. Miles, this has been, this has been so much fun uh, chatting with you and going down uh just memory after memory and hearing the impact it had on you at that moment. And then years later, as you look back at it with uh, maturity and retrospect, um, that first uh, June moment as a first year player, as a, as a freshman to that senior year where you and your teammates uh, finish up on the uh, postseason field over at Solon, um, all the stories, all the memories, all the relationships uh, built in between and uh, the memories that you take with you and talking about how it has molded you and impacted you into the person you are uh, professionally, but also personally. Um, you're, uh, you're doing great things, man. And everyone uh, affiliated with the uh, Hawk and football program is proud of you when, uh, when your name pops up and uh and uh, it's just, it's really special to see, buddy. And I, uh, I appreciate this time that we got to spend as uh, we went down to the river. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I appreciate you saying that. I really do. And this was, this was a lot of fun for me, too. A lot of things I hadn't really thought much about in a little while. It came right back. It was fun. Miles, all the best. Thanks, man. Thanks for spending time with us today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and spread the word. And until the next episode, like my dad always says, good night, Irene.